Shivels. Adrian is the head women's basketball coach at Bowdoin College. The This is your 12th season at Bowdoin, correct? Yes. <laughs> and uh, you're the winningest coach all time at Bowdoin College with 240-some-odd wins. I don't know exactly how many. I'm not counting. Should I be counting? I'm not either. <laughs> You've had two consecutive uh, national championship runs, and last year actually eclipsed the 30-win mark in one season, which is pretty impressive. Several Sweet 16s. Uh, also the winningest coach all time at Swarthmore College, my alma mater, and uh, my and also my wife. Yes. <laughs> so my qu- first question for you, and I'm sure you get this a lot is how did I trick you? <laughs> don't don't a answer bit that. Of <laughs> don't answer that. No. So okay, we, we can get to that later. My first question is around. Okay, so it's your twelfth season at Bowdoin College. You've had two national championship runs in a row. Uh, consistent competitor in the national tournament uh, and in one of the top, if not the top. Uh, conference in the country for Division Three basketball. Uh, how do you maintain that level of competitiveness year after year? Well, I think it's all about the people that you bring in, that you work with. Um, we really are very intentional about the recruiting process and uh, the character of the women that we bring in. Uh, we want them to really embrace our team values, and so we're very thoughtful about um, – about those those values and intentional about the people that we surround ourselves with. So I'm curious about what those values are. Have those values been the same ever since you started at Bone or do they shift year to year? Um, no. So initially we started um, with quite a few values. At one point I think it was up to 10. 10 yeah. values? Yeah. We had a tagline for each, each value. Um, what were some of them? Um, you know, enthusiasm. I mean, the, the I'll get to our the ones that we've always had, but there were there were several, you know, around community and enthusiasm. I mean, there were there are ten that really were great and meant a lot to us. But um, I guess the turning point was when um, we every year hire our captains through an interview process, and one of the players asked the captain applicants in that process. Um, which team value do you represent the most and that none of the captains could even, you know, call up a team value to, to discuss. And so at that point I knew that um, we had an issue and we sat in a room together the following year and hashed out, we, we got it down to four core values. Mm. Um, we have an acronym um, and we talk about those values all the time and um, they're very important to us. So what's the act? Let me guess the value. You tell me the acronym. I will guess the values. Okay. Um, the acronym is it's our pact. Pact. P A C T. Yes. Pact. P. Passion. Passion to compete. Passion to compete. You want to expand on that one a little bit more? Um, we search for women who love the game and and like they show that passion to compete when we're watching them play in high school. Um, they want to battle day in and day out, and they love mm. the game of basketball. Okay, passion to compete. A. 
aerobic activity. <laughs> Accountability. <laughs> Accountability. Tell me more about that one. Well, it's really tied to our third team value, which is, can you guess, C? C. Christmas? <laughs> commitment to high standards. You play a Christmas tournament, mm. though. And we do, some years. Okay, so commitment to high standards. These yeah. are getting very long-winded, but okay, go ahead. Go on. Passion to compete, accountability, and accountability is really tied to our, our high standards, and we have a commitment to those, and we... Um, what are those high stand? What are the high standards? Those are really around our, our work ethic. I could get into the details. Um, it's, you know, it's, and it's really about the little things. You can't, you can't let those go. You can't um, ease up on the little things because those are what makes, make a difference. But um, we really hold one another accountable. I think for women, especially, that's super hard to hold one another accountable. Not only hold ourselves accountable to high standards, but to hold one another accountable to call out fellow teammates when they're falling short of those standards. I think that's really tough for people, but we've developed a culture where that's that's really commonplace. So I, I'm really impressed by that because I have a hard time calling anybody out. Yeah, it's tough. For, you know, their the times when they fall short. Yeah. So how do, how do you... how do, So everybody on the team knows that their teammates are going to do this for one another. Yes. And so yes. it makes it a little bit more, you're more comfortable yeah. in that environment. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. It's really about the fourth team value, the T, which the is. The T is uh, take it to the limit. <laughs> Close. Trust. Trust. So we do really try to create an environment where people are comfortable engaging with honest feedback, um, which means that I, as the coach, have to really, uh, I have to role model those behaviors. When players come and talk to me, even if I don't agree with them, I have to receive feedback is really um, essential to moving forward. And um, and so we've tr tried to create that environment where honesty and feedback is really, is really welcomed. So all these values put together are the core, <clears throat> and they really, you feel, have, have had the most contribution to the team's success over yes. the years but still you've yes. got amazing players yeah great but yeah do you feel that they because they embody these values they 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 grow more as athletes or i think so i think so and i think that our our team is super cohesive which it pays off in the long run yeah interesting so <clears throat> Now, it also is really great that you've got this big local following. We're here in Brunswick, Maine, and, you know, the Bowdoin women's basketball team is the is the hot ticket in town in the community. And what's that like for your for your team? They love it. I mean, uh, I think that's a big draw for a lot of the women that come that choose Bowdoin to be able to play in front of a packed gym. That's rare in any division, but especially division 3. And so it, it's rare to have that sort of support and not just support on the court, but our fans really take an interest in the women and support them off the court. And, um, you know, they're really invested in their and their on all of their futures. Now, I'll just say I see this as well. Just 
out in the community and people stopping you to talk to you about the team and oh my gosh it's so great to be there and we go to every game and etc now when you go to the grocery store and, and someone stops you to ask you about the team that year is it a really nice gesture or do you want to punch them in the face <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse i mean i just i really value a community that does take such a keen interest, but it can, it can cross a line at times, which is why you do the grocery shopping. <laughs> I really enjoy the grocery shopping. To be honest, it's a, it's it's a, it's the only thing I shop for, and I really do enjoy it. It works well for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a question for you. You've had all the, you've had this great success with your team. You know, two national championships in a row. I forgot to mention you were national coach of the year last year in Division Three. Uh, so that is in and of itself an amazing accomplishment. And we, I know that because you have the sign up in our house that says national coach of the year. Every time you walk through the doorway, we have to (laughs) bow and pay homage to the sign on the door, which is fine. I don't understand. Now, what now with all the success, what do you feel that you feel the, the pressure of doing this year in and year out or, or, or do you enjoy the 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 days the battles i i definitely feel the pressure i think a lot of it's self-imposed um i put a lot of pressure on myself but i also don't want to let the team down and don't want to let the community down um so i think you know finding ways each and every day to get some perspective on why i do what i do it's really as much as i love to win it's not about the outcomes it's about the process and working with these amazing young women and seeing them develop um, day in and day out. And so I just have to stay connected to that that passion, mm. the reason that why I do what I do. Now, back in the early days when you were at Swarthmore College, in when both of us were much younger and more athletic, and yes. we actually played <laughs> <Yes>. basketball, <laughs> we used to compete against each other. And in those instances, I would say you were about the outcomes. Because you used to give me a really hard time. I have a passion to compete on the like court. my players. That's and... the P in the pack, the passion yes. to compete. But you would really get in my face and be loud and aggressive when you would score on me or your team did. No, and that's it was false. a point of pride to put me down. <laughs> false. <laughs> Most of the time I got upset with you is when you were on my team and I felt like Oh, that you was were right. missing box outs. Or oh, I wasn't playing hard taking enough. Taking too many threes and being soft. How could first of all, <laughs> a you could never take too many threes, okay? And soft is all it was all in your mind. You wanted to see something a certain way, and you were not seeing the fact that I was in there rebounding in my own special way, but that I also wanted to take as many shots as I could. <laughs> <laughs> so. So that's so, and it's, that seems to have been a constant theme here in, in, in our relationship, is getting on me when you feel I'm taking too many three pointers. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to say about that? I I don't have any problem with three pointers. Hmm. Um, I don't. But again, just I believe in these standards of our team, and you know I'm going to hold you accountable if I feel like. <laughs> You know, you're not I'm following your shot, standards. and you're not getting in there and grinding in addition to taking all of your 
your your pretty boy threes. Okay, fine. That's we're gonna that's being edited out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you what do you worry about? What do I worry about? Yeah, I'm a worrier by nature. You worry about everything. I worry about a lot. You worry about too much. Yeah. What is it you worry about most? Uh, I worry about letting people down. Mm. I worry oh, about. Yeah. That's um, a tough one. I'm trying to get better at worrying about what other people think. I, I feel like as I get older, I get better at that. I worry about our our children. You know, I want them to be healthy and happy. Um, you know, just I think a lot of typical parent coach stuff. But yes, I am a worrier by nature. Mm. So what do you do to curb the worrying and be more balanced? Um. Well, working out definitely helps. The new Peloton has really been Crushing a life, life changer. Um, you know, I do I do love meditation, although my practice is really sporadic, so I need to get better there. Um, I think, you know, every day I have um, a morning ritual where I have a panda planner and I talk, I write in there things I'm grateful for. A list of things that I really want to accomplish in that day, things I'm excited about, Affirm positive affirmations really help with me for me and and staying focused. Um, mm. So, I think you know all of those things have really been helpful in my in my daily practice to start the day that way. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. And what? So when did you know that you wanted to be a, a coach? You've been a head coach for over twenty years, right? So when yeah. did you know that this was your path? Um, I didn't really know, I guess. Well, I graduated from college and I went to work in a law firm in Boston and I hated it. I hated being in an office. I hated the job in general. And so I started volunteering at a local division three college in Boston at Babson. And from there I got the job as an assistant at Colby and, but even my first year at Colby, I remember thinking, do I want to continue down this path? Because it was very difficult. I mean, very little money and working extra jobs to make things go. Um, and so when I thought about grad school, I was really thinking about two different paths, athletic training or coaching. But fortunately, I continued with the coaching path and just, and got into grad school at Smith. And I think it was then that I really thought I'm invested. You know, I've... Um, Smith has given me this opportunity and I'm going to go all in on this path. Mm. And from there, I was fortunate enough to get this Swarthmore job, which is where I met you. And that story merits mentioning. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it really, and really not for this podcast. No, it well, doesn't. <laughs> That story was saved for uh, edition two of the podcast <laughs> with Adrian, which is a great story. Um, well, in short, you itself. wanted a job as my assistant, as and you were a Swarthmore mm. alum who wanted a job as my assistant, and I said no now, because the men's coach wanted you as assistant, and then we but ended I thought up coaching I could together. really have an impact on your program. You could have, yes, for sure. I don't believe you that you really felt that way at the time <laughs> you saw me as a three point a soft pretty boy three-point shooter i mean 
I'll be honest, like Muffin McGraw's speech this year about offering opportunities to women really spoke to me mm. from from my time at, at Smith as a graduate student, I've always felt very strongly about providing women with opportunities. Um, and so I've always struck, I just feel it's important to strive to, to, if there are qualified women, to put them in the positions. And it's not that you weren't qualified, so, but there was a, a more highly qualified person mm, for the job. So you're saying I have a case if I were to bring a lawsuit. <laughs> No. At this point, <laughs> you don't in have our a case. careers, although it would be taking money out of both of our accounts. <laughs> so, okay, I get you. No, I agree with that. I mean, it's great. And, you know, and we have two daughters. And um, so is that must be, I mean, aside, obviously, you know, your job with as a basketball coach, you're focused on the, the wins and the losses and the X's and the O's. But there's got to be a lot more to it, it seems. Um what is it that really kind of keeps you going day in and day out? Um, it's the building relationships with the student athletes. Um, I just love it. It keeps me young. Uh, I mean, it keeps me just really um, infatuated with the job. You know, just I think it's it's so cool to build trust with with these um, future rock stars. I mean, these women are going into the world and just crushing it. Um, and to be able to gain their trust and and build something special with them and to give you know to give them the space and the ownership to to add their magic it's just it's truly special so i i enjoy it a lot hmm. now let's go way back to your time on the farm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and how that influenced your future career so you grew up on a dairy farm mm -hmm. in rural Maine, uh, close to Belfast, Knox or Thorn. I I never Knox. get it straight. Knox. Is it Knox or Thorndike? Knox is where I grew up. Thorndike is where I went to high school. Oh, so Thorndike's where you went to high school, but Knox is the actual yeah. Town. Eleven towns, eleven towns made up our um, district, and so mm. it's very rural area. But Knox was yeah. the town that I grew up in. So. What was it like growing up in the... When did you grow up there? In the 50s? What? <laughs> what was it like growing up as a kid in rural Maine on a dairy farm? Because this is completely opposite to my upbringing in the concrete jungle of the city of brotherly love. And, you know, city mouse, country mouse here. But what was it like? I, I, want, I, I want to know. I mean... In hindsight, it was bliss. It was utopia. Um, as a child, I probably didn't feel that way. It was a lot of work. Um, you joke about how long ago, but it, it actually was. It was the 70s and 80s, <laughs> which was um, an, inc a, a, an important time, you know, to be a girl and to be playing sports. So it was right mm. after, you know, I was really a child of Title IX. I benefited from that legislation, certainly, but... But you didn't start playing sports until when? Um, really until middle school, until eighth grade. I start, mm -hmm. I played basketball and softball and soccer. But that's soccer. when you were like six four. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Wait, basketball, soccer, softball, and softball. Yeah. And your favorite was basketball, of course, right? Naturally. No. Naturally, it was. Well, it it 
yeah, it really, it really was. I took to it right away and loved it. And we had a hoop at my grandmother's house next door. So my brother and I would battle. We'd have some one-on-one battles. We really was were he soft quite... too? Was he a soft three-point shooter too? Um, no. Wait, I shouldn't say he two because I'm not <laughs> admitting not. to that fact. He was, or that he was pretty fact. physical. I mean, we had battles and, uh, yeah, he definitely helped helped me develop my game yeah, for sure. So you would take it to each other. And we were really very isolated as children. We didn't we had there were a couple of um children like a stone well, not even a stone throw a away. A stone throw away. Uh, Boy, that's a far away? that's a quite a far chuck. Um who were a little bit younger than us, but other than that, it was really we didn't see our friends in the summer. We they were too they lived too far away. I mean eleven towns so yeah. my best friend, and even in high school, lived an hour away. So we were pretty isolated, and so we had to. We really, um, we were friends growing up, and and battled with sports. But I don't know. He was my. He was really my only companion a lot of times. <laughs> but um, growing up on the farm definitely instilled a a really strong sense of having a work ethic and um, serving the greater good. You know, it was really from the the time the sun came up, it was my dad yelling up the stairs, get out of bed because we all have to work to put food on the table. And I really think that kind of idea of, of it's not about me or, or, you know, the self, it's about serving the team, the mm-hmm. greater good really stuck with me early on. And I, so as soon as I started playing sports, I loved it. It just, it all made sense to me. The idea of hard work, commitment, selflessness, serving others, um, having a role and just really um, doing well within that role, that mm. really resonated with me. And that got you out of doing chores. Yeah, too, it did. I <laughs> was the only way that my brother and I could get out of chores was if we had practice or a game. So, um, you know, it certainly was motivation mm. to... But now, and your parents, did they, did they get to many games or were they working too hard? No, they, they worked really hard. I mean, and the schedule was was very firm you know the cows were milked at five o'clock in the morning and five o'clock in the afternoon and so if they couldn't make our game because of the cow schedule and the milking schedule they just they didn't and um they were at most of our home games i would say and some of the the closer games but um but they they you know they missed a lot of games and i think and that was fine it was always sports were always our thing they never Mm -hmm commented on the coaches other than to say you should be you know if we ever complain which we rarely did it was well maybe you should be working harder i mean they were really it, it was a much different landscape than it is yeah, today I that was a sign of the times right because my <clears throat> i had a similar experience with my parents so you know i don't i mean my my dad and mom came to some games and but definitely not all of them and and i was actually thinking you know watching our kids play all the grandparents i see at games my yeah. my grandparents my grandparents didn't see one game mine rarely came and they lived very close so yes you're right so what do you i mean it was it's just a di- so what you said about having it be the kids today and there it was it's there when we played it was our experience and it, you know we got to own it but is it has that really changed in today's society and how do you feel your kids handle that today with all the pressures they have on them from their families i mean yeah i it's definitely changed 
Uh, 100%. It's crazy up. It's a crazy world out there. But that's part of the intentionality of our recruiting process is we really look for very independent young women. Um, we look for families who give their daughters space to make the decision that's best for them. Um, naturally, they're going to, you know, they're there are going to be families that ask questions and want, you know, want to make sure that their kids are going to be in a good place. But, you know, if, if, if I at all start to feel like it's more about, you know, the recruiting process is more about what the parents want than when the kids want, that's when red flags go yeah. up for me. So we're really fortunate to, to really work with a great group of parents who care deeply, but really allow their daughter space to enjoy the process and build trust with the coaching staff. They, they don't get involved. Um, they don't call me, um, you know, unless there's some kind of issue off the court. And um, I very much appreciate that. Yeah. And I think it will serve their daughters well I, in life, for sure. That's, <clears throat> that's why we, uh, I feel like we are trying to do that with our, with our kids as well. And um that's why we're here doing this podcast and not at their, <laughs> their sports banquets. That's right. They're, they're, <laughs> their high school sports banquet is happening as we speak, yet we are here recording this podcast <laughs> because it's their experience, although I did tell them before they left, if you're getting an award, I'm going to be super pissed. So uh, Awards... Words. I don't know how you say it. Okay, but it would have been nice to if they were get. I mean, I know they're getting. You know, they'll be up on stage with their teams and whatnot. If they were getting an individual honor or something, it would yeah, have been nice to be there. Not about <clears throat> that, honey. Okay, fine, <laughs> but I it would still have been nice to be there. But yes, yeah, so we are here. We are. They are definitely owning that experience as well. So yes. Um, so now back to that. You know, you're. It, Growing up, it was interesting because you said you you had to hoop at your grandmother's house, and she lived right next door, basically. Yes. So that I mean, so you had really sort of a lot. Of, you had the extended family there as well. Now, was your grand was was Gert out there? Gert's her name, just to, for the listeners out there. Was Gert out there cheering you on? Was she did she like have the like little mobile scorecard? Was she no. keeping score of the games? <laughs> no. Protrude. No. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, um, I was so blessed. I, I really feel like everyone should grow up next to their grandparents. I mean, it was just the absolute best. And my grandfather had uh, rheumatoid arthritis growing up. And so he was a farmer who was crippled with this terrible disease. And so he definitely sat inside and would watch from the bay window and and taken some of the, the action. You got a box but, out, Adrian. But he, no, but they they really didn't get involved in that nonsense. But they made sure that that we had the hoop, um, that the driveway around the hoop was paved, which that was huge on the farm. Uh, yeah. That there was always butter brickle ice cream in the deep freeze. Wait, what is that? And moxie soda in the fridge. Gross. And uh, I don't know, they just, they, it was that was a safe haven for us to, to, to go to their home every day and visit and and and, um, and to have that other support system because our parents were really busy taking mm. care of the farm and working. Yeah. And you said you didn't really grow up around any of the friends, so there was nobody. Not was really. So there rural. were those two neighbor kids we mm. played with a bunch, but other than that, it was really just us on our own. And, 
and doing a lot of work on the farm. And but when we had free time, it was my brother and I, you know, playing games or matchboxes or basketball or whatever it was, depending on how old we were. Always competing, pa- passion to compete. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they will tell you that from the get go, I was very competitive and fiery, even yes. when I came to cribbage or whatever it might be, Scrabble. Have you so. ever broken heel in a Scrabble game like I've seen happen <laughs> on the basketball court? No. No. But no. I did throw the cards at you when we played hearts one time. This because... was our worst <laughs> uh, disagreement ever. Threw the cards right in my face <laughs> and I think stormed out of the room. Uh, or maybe I stormed out I think out you of stormed room. out, which was appropriate, <laughs> honestly. Because I was, it was so it was taken aback. A very weak moment. By the gesture. <laughs> Of, of that was not really according to your values. I would say. No, you weren't trying hard. You weren't. You didn't have the passion to compete, and you weren't. What are, what are you talking you about? Weren't playing by high standards. You know, you were just <laughs> going through the motions. How how do you go through the motions in a game of hearts? You're playing each round, and you're giving it your all. How you how do you not? <laughs> How about the? How about I just didn't know the game as well as someone who's played it their whole uh, lives, and so you were taking it upon yourself to, to you know, put me down and belittle me for the knowledge <laughs> I had about this card. Game. I said it was a bad moment. You're right. Oh, only your players could hear this. So, so now you've all right. Twenty plus years, you've coached several hundred young women, and I mean in today's society, you've got. There's so many pressures on these kids, right? Especially young girls, right? So what, what do you kind of think about in terms of uh, providing some thoughts for, you know, especially girls, teenagers who are sort of yes. growing into adulthood and uh, sort of seeking their way on their path? I think it's so important to uh, lay the foundation as a coach or a parent for um, – embracing mistakes you know like you know it's it's one thing if you're if your children or your players cross a line and they're disrespectful or something of that nature but if it's a mistake if it's a bad score on a test or you know a turnover on the core or miss layout I mean if in those moments if you if you react um then they're gonna these kids are already just petrified to fail and make mistakes Mm. and so I think really just opening up the conversation to mistakes are um, information that you need to grow and get better and embracing those moments, embracing the moments of failure um, or adversity as opportunities to grow. Um, I think that's so critical. And so making it fun, creating an like a safe space for people to make mistakes and then move forward. Um, I think that's, that's the most important thing that I would say. Hmm. And, um, you know, I do go watch some high school games and there's a lot of yelling about, oh, you know, why are you kicking the ball that way? Or why are you throwing it this way? And those are the kicking, moments. Wait, are you talking about soccer? Or I'm basketball? just talking about just different sports. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of different sports, a lot of different levels. And I think in those moments where coaches are uber critical and just, um, I think, obsess about those moments I, I i just you could even almost physically see the the, the kids especially girls get tighter and tighter mm. and um 
more feel fearful of, of, of making a mistake. And so I just, my advice would be, and I really had to learn this over time. I was not perfect to begin with. I was one of those coaches. I really had modeled my whole coaching style after, you know, sort of the Bobby Knight model of like fiery and, you know, in, in their face and breaking heels. And over time, I just learned that that is, is really, it's, it's, first of all, it's not me, but it's not the most effective way to, to really have student athletes improve. So then if Bobby Knight isn't one of your, or has not been one of your role models, then who who have been your role models in coaching or leadership? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Mm. I mean, when I was first started, uh, starting out, I, I read and, and studied John Wooden quite a bit. And... The first year that we won the Centennial Conference at Swarthmore, we had adopted his motto of make each day your masterpiece. But I think latching on to his one. philosophies, yeah, it, great. He was really the one that when I read his books and studied his methods, I, I started focusing on maybe we should talk less about winning championships and we should focus more about making each day our masterpiece and focusing on the process. So it was really back then in the late 1990s, 2000, that I sort of embraced that philosophy. And I think it made, it was a huge turning point in my coaching career. Hmm. Any other leaders come to the top of your mind? Um, All of the coaches that I worked with as an assistant really informed the kind of coach that I am today. So I really value all of them. Um, one of my mentors in grad school, Sue Langlois, she was the athletic director at Elms, really was an important mentor for me at a critical time in my development. Um, and then, you know, I have some coaching peers that have really made quite a difference in my mm. in my life. So I'm grateful to them, too. This is interesting because I was actually just interviewed today about because for my startup and about my leadership values and who I looked up to as a role model and the first person I mentioned was my wife oh so I, <laughs> I get none of this reciprocation in terms I was of thinking basketball bitch. <laughs> but certainly yes you <laughs> okay you can't backtrack certainly. now forget it the, the moment is past you have made a huge difference now I'm gonna make you feel even worse because we are sitting here talking about how we're letting our children own their own experiences with athletics and they are off at this sports awards night and i just got a text from our older daughter madeline that our younger daughter elsa won the coaches award no yes she just did (laughs) so so we missed it but you know what she's owning that experience herself (laughs) and she doesn't have her parents there helicoptering over her so we are instilling good lessons in our daughter's that's amazing. Well, anything else you want to talk about here tonight, Adrian, and, uh, no, in I your really, first podcast? I really am very flattered that you would select me oh. to be your first guest on this podcast. Oh, so. really? Well, I mean, no one else really answered the call. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I have to take it where I can get it. But no, I appreciate you taking some time to chat. And there will be other podcasts for sure because we've got plenty to talk about. <laughs> yes, we do. Over time. So I appreciate your time. Uh, prognosis on the season. Excited. We're young, <laughs> but there's lot, lots of room for growth. Well, isn't that the case with all of us yeah. throughout our lives? Yes, There's true. lots of room for growth. Yes. We're all on the path yeah. of warriorship. Well said. Right? So, indeed. Well, this has been great. It's been a great podcast. We are terrible parents. We did not see our children receiving honors and other, with their teams. And uh, this is not a good example to set, but uh, it's been fun. I think it's a great example. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. And it's been a blast. We'll talk again. Thanks all for listening. And peace out. Is that going to be your sign-off? Peace out? No. <laughs> I know. That's terrible, isn't it? It's still recording, so I need a better sign-off. <laughs> Until next time. Until next time on Delirious. This is why I am Delirious from time.